you are worthy of praise, Lord. And my, my prayer is for my heart and the heart of the people here that those songs would be a preparation of getting us centered in Christ. Holy Spirit, let's allow our focus to be Godward. Not centered on us, but consider the weight of your glory. May that happen as we open up your word. Holy Spirit, uh, allow us to to reveal the word to us. Allow our lives to be changed. Allow us to be encouraged. Tell, uh, Tell your story, Christ. And allow it not to fall to deaf ears, but passionate ears that desire to experience true life. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Awesome. Can we thank our our worship team family? They work hard, hard to encourage us in the Lord. So I was very, very grateful for those guys. And don't get many breaks. And so we had to cipher people in and out because uh, of their service. So really appreciate that. We got the, uh, it's it's a joy to have our young people here today as well. Uh, We are celebrating uh, this time of Lent, and during our time of Lent, we are going, we pause on Second Thessalonians, which is the book of the Bible we're going through, if you are new here, and we pause on that to celebrate and prepare our hearts for uh, the, the, the Resurrection uh, Sunday that we get to experience, uh, Easter Sunday. And in doing so, uh, we are we're spending the last seven weeks, the next five weeks, as it were, uh, discussing uh, the I Am statements that were found in John. There's seven I Am statements. And we're going through those I am statements as we consider who Christ is, which is makes a lot of sense as we're as we're moving toward uh, Resurrection Sunday to see uh, this Christ figure uh, who was murdered uh, for you and I to experience life. And so uh, that's what we're doing. And today uh, we are we're looking at uh, Jesus, uh, this Christ figure being the gate, Um, Jesus being the gate, which is uh, found in in the book of John. uh, uh, chapter 10, if you can look at uh, the verses, uh, starting in verse 1. The I am uh, comes from, we talked about this each week, and I think I'll do it each week just to kind of solidify in our minds. I know we've gone through the book of Exodus. Uh, the I am statement is uh, from Exodus, uh, where where you have a holy God uh, who's who's asked to be known, as it were, um, from Moses. I won't get into all the academics there because it can bore you. Maybe some of you would like it, uh, but that that was a very interesting uh, thing for him to even do in Exodus, uh, because you, you got to keep in mind uh, in antiquity, which is a very uh, uh, flashy word for back in the day. Um, uh, in antiquity, uh, what would happen is these these people who who had all these other gods that they that they they wanted to serve because they basically had their, their rabbit's foots of the day and all these different things to kind of try to get and motivate themselves and, and, and kind of prostitute gods. And, 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 and so they would have these amulets and they would have names of the gods on the amulets, right? And so what God was, was doing a new thing is when, he, is when Moses said, well, who do I say who sent me? And when he says, I am, he's basically, he's basically always, and he does this in Genesis too, he's kind of, it's like an affront uh, to the culture of that day. He's basically saying, look, you don't ask me who I am. 
you don't, you don't, you don't get to, you don't get to, you don't get to, you, you, you don't get to like try and determine what my character is. You don't get to determine that, that I'm going to assess if I'm going, what I'm going to tell these people. You don't get to do that. That's what, so the I am, the to be verb, the to be verb is almost God going, you know, it's almost, I'm, I'm just thinking about my mom or just back in the day when you, you, you know, you say something, if a person's in an argument and if someone tries to, tries to make you give them the credentials of why they should listen to you or so you ever had that happen someone steps back like well don't it doesn't matter who i am you know you know what i'm saying you know what i'm talking about some of y'all got a mama like that right right you know what i'm saying i mean it's god going look now hold on i who am i am sent you to be like all of existence right and then what's cool about God, I love how he puts us in our place and then he comforts us at the same time, right? He makes it really clear. You don't get to ask that question. I am who I am. I am to be. I am like, I am the existence. I am the, I am to, like Yahweh. But then in doing that, he then gives his name. He says, you don't get to ask that question, but I'm Yahweh. <laughs> Isn't that cool? And so what, he, what, he, what he's doing there, he's saying, like, I am so powerful that you don't get to just want, you don't get to just know me when you want to know me, but I want you to know me. Don't miss that. And so then what's so beautiful throughout back in the day, antiquity, is the story of God just showing that he's the God who actually can be known. Right? He's not just, he's not just deistic. But he's he's intimately involved in our lives, and so so then you take all that, you take those 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 many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, or thousand or so, and now you come to this point. These 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 Jews have been grafted in this understanding family, and then you get Jesus saying, "I am." And so you see what he's doing here. This is, this is radical stuff. So then he starts saying, not only so remember the God who. You can't be asking questions about who also, though, says, I wanted you to be, I want you to know me and then let you kind of understand his character so that you might trust him. And then Jesus says, I'm going to take it to another level. I'm about to give you these I am statements so you can really understand and know as you listen to who I am it can remind you of who he is and you realize that I am he. So that's what's going on here um, during during these texts. Now, John 10 is an interesting, uh, guys, you can turn there and it'll be on the screen. And young people, I'm going to need some volunteers, okay? And so Pastor Leon is going to come up in a moment with that. So I'm going to need some volunteers for young people. So you got to make sure you're dialed in and you're listening, okay? Um, I'm going to need some volunteers in a moment. Here's what's happening. Chapter 10 is a very interesting chapter because Jesus is in a conversation with the disciples and these Jewish religious authorities, right? These scribes and these Pharisees, the people who held the law and who were powerful of the day and, and people tried to like wanted to be like because they thought these are the religious leaders. These are the spiritual people. And what Jesus is doing is he's opening up a new understanding through these verses that we're about to look at. And then the question you always ask yourself as you're reading the Bible, young people specifically, um, older people, everybody, is you want to ask why? Why is Jesus doing this? And I just want to give you the answer right now that most, if not every time you're reading the text and you're, you're doing an, uh, what we call, again, as grown folk, this exposition when you're understanding like what, what was, what was the author saying to the people way back then in the first century? And then as I understand what he was saying to them, I can understand now what he's saying to me when he was doing, when, when you're doing that work, God just wants you, he's trying to build your faith. As we're doing that work, the point of it is to build our faith. Jesus is always in his grace making a case for himself so that you and I might worship. That's what we're doing every week here. 
is another opportunity for Jesus to say, here's why I deserve to have all of our affection in here. That's what God is doing. So that we might trust him. Your faith might be deepened in Christ. And so, but to understand chapter 10, you have to understand chapter 9 a little bit. And, and this was interesting because I didn't, I was reading chapter 10. I was like, what is it? Why is he, come, why is he coming at these guys like this? And then I was like, oh. So in your, in your homework, look at chapter 9. But I'm going to give you the cliff notes so you can look at it with some, with some backdrop. Jesus has just healed a blind man in chapter 9. He takes him to the Pharisees, right? Uh, and then the, the, uh, he, the guy he's healed, they take him to the Pharisees. And instead of them celebrating and being like, wow, this is unbelievable. This dude was blind and now he can see. This is crazy. They condemn him. They excommunicate him. And then they say, man, first of all, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. You wouldn't even be blind if you hadn't been in sin. They make it a sin issue. You talk about a flip the script. <laughs> you talk about Debbie Dinor. You got good news. <laughs> Look, I can see. You get off the church. What? I didn't think that was going to be the play. You know, I know that was going to happen. So that's the situation right here, right? And so what you have in chapter 10, actually, which is beautiful, is Jesus' response, actually, to how the Pharisees treated the blind man. That's the context. Is he's now saying, whoa, 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 let me tell you a story. Right? <laughs> You know, Jesus, nothing. and again, when we talk about, when, I, when, I, when we go through the Gospels, I always try to help you understand uh, that these stories, when Jesus starts, starts preaching, right? When Jesus starts preaching, it's apocalyptic in its nature. What do I mean by that? Is Jesus literally heaping judgment at that point? Is Jesus saying, I'm tired of playing with y'all. So I'm going to tell you a story, and now I'm so frustrated, I'm going to kind of end the story in bad stuff. And guess what? Only those who are serious about wanting to know what I'm about are going to understand. That's what he does. So, so can I just keep, you know, I'll try to keep it 100. So that means if you're sitting here right now, and you're just like, I don't get it. You might be the bad character in the play. Right? Because he's saying, no, 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 this, I'm, I'm to the point now. Yeah, I, I won't, I won't, I, you know what? It's like a weed out course. You know, hey kids, so when you go in high school and college, they have these things called weed out courses, specifically in college. And it's like everybody want to go to college and they want to be doctors and lawyers, right? That's awesome. And everybody in here, you can be a doctor and lawyer, but you know what has to happen to be a doctor and lawyer and, and an astronaut and an accountant? You know what has to happen? You have to work. You have to study. And so they don't just hand those degrees out. So they say, that's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a couple courses that are just crazy hard. And we're going to see who is willing to stick with it. Right? They call them weed out courses. <laughs> is that right, family? Right? I mean, Ashley, you on what, Calc 8? <laughs> My goodness, she has a weed out, two, three weed out courses every year. And what's she trying to do? Well, that's what, that's, what, that's what apocalyptic language is, family. Young people, when you hear that big word, that's just Jesus saying, okay, it's weed out time. So that's what he's doing. He's responding, okay? So remember that. He's responding to these Pharisees. And look what he says. Verse 1, you ready? And I want to start with Jesus is responding, saying, hey, I want to talk about me being the gate, right, in two ways. And you guys have heard like Jesus, you know, you know Jesus the uh, the good shepherd, right? Everybody, even unbelievers have heard, oh, Jesus is a good shepherd, right? Even though you don't believe in Christ, you don't get the gate doesn't get get a lot of airtime, 
Right? So I'm excited to get a gate some love today. You know? And what's interesting about the gate is that he, this is, if you notice, when you look at the text, the gate, he's the gate for the shepherd and the sheep in the text. Which I think is interesting. Right? Verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, that means for real. I ain't playing. You know what I'm saying? You know, right? You know, like my kids know, like there's a, there's a certain way I talk to them when I'm happy. And there's a certain way I talk to them when they're playing around, I'm upset. All right? Right? That's how we are. Jesus ain't playing right now. He says, for real, I say to you, you better listen. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Verse two, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. You see that? So he says, hey, you know what? If you're entering, trying to get in another way, first of all, you are a robber and a thief. But there is a way, but he who enters by the door Right by the door, who will be Jesus, as it were, the good way, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. Now this gets crazy because right now he's a door, but then later on he's actually going to be the shepherd, right? Which I think it speaks to his sovereignty, which speaks to why he should be glorified and why we, in this whole process, we kind of get participants participants of something that he's absolutely doing it all. I mean, my goodness, he is the door. He's the gatekeeper. He's the shepherd. Are you kidding me? Can I do something, Jesus? No, that's the whole point. That's why we're in this mess. You see? So he says, to him, verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out his own, out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 5, a stranger they will not follow. Don't miss that. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. You hear that? Now, now family, let me, let me break this down a little bit, because there is some explanation that has to happen. In Jesus' day, sheep were kept in two ways. Now, I ain't going to even try to act like I understand this, so I did research, all right? I'm a city boy. So, um, but the first way is they were, there was uh, in cities and villages, right? And the way, what that looked like in cities and villages, because there were a lot of different individuals who had sheep, you had kind of like these sheep hotels, right? And basically, it was just a big old piece of land, right? Uh, they had kind of higher gates, had uh, one way, it was a public pen, and you had, you had several flocks, several flocks in that one area. All right, so what would happen is the shepherds would, would be doing their thing throughout the day, and then it would take them in to this kind of general place at night. All right? And then that place had a watchman over it. And so then in the, next, in the morning, the, the shepherd would come to that place, and again, there's a ton of sheep, and then he would t- provide his voice, and his sheep would come with him. So he wouldn't take anybody else's sheep. So his sheep would come with him. And they, they actually did like studies, and it was amazing. If you, if you talk to individuals or Turkish people or people who experience that kind of way of life, you'll be amazed. They say it's unbelievable. You can literally dress up like your shepherd, look like him, but yet when they hear a different voice, not only do they not come, they run. This is a historical. 
And I just think, man, God be hooking it up. I love how he gives you stories where you're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So, so that, so that's the way. Basically, uh, they, in, the way it was tended, sheep was tended back in in the city. They would they had this watchman over over them. Now, now there was a different way. I would say that he he tended sheep in the country. Uh, the, the, just to give you a snapshot, in the country, it was a shepherd. He had a smaller place. Um, and maybe I don't want to go too far, but I'll just I'll just give it all to you. Uh, is he the, the walls are smaller? And and there was actually no door, but there was an entrance, but it was just his sheep. And so this makes a lot of sense because in this framework, what would happen is that night, the shepherd would actually become the door. The shepherd would actually sleep and lay right before the door. And so that means if a sheep wanted to leave, they had to go over the shepherd. But if a wolf or any kind of coyote or any kind of predator wanted to come in, they had to come by the shepherd. So literally, the shepherd would be the door, would be the gate. This is the picture. And I believe that Jesus, uh, according to the text, gives us this picture in the first century uh, for two distinct reasons, family. First, he's clearly trying to expose, because remember chapter 9, he's exposing the false teaching that was happening in chapter 9, right? He's exposing the false teaching of the Pharisees, and what they're about, he's, he's, he's kind of, I would say he's exposing their false teaching in general because obviously they excommunicated a guy who was healed by God. Right? <laughs> I mean, Paul just, just contemplate that. But he's also, this is interesting, he's also, I would, I would say to you, he's exposing their style. He's exposing that man, the good shepherd's style the watchman's style is very different than these thieves and robbers' style of how they do leadership. Right? When you think of the Pharisees being detached, you look at the Bible, like they didn't know these people. <laughs> they thought, man, I'm so holy and perfect. I don't, I don't connect, but I'm leading. I'm supposed to be leading the, the people of Israel, but I'm leading from kind of my ivory tower. They're not heartfelt. Like when's the last time you when you read in the scriptures you saw a Pharisee? Next to Nicodemus, this even looked like they weren't the tin man, right? Where you're just like, man, like, where's your compassion? Where's your sense of, of empathy, of understanding that we are all struggling out here and we need a savior? What you see is you see them building fear, right? People having uncertainty. There's a sense of judgment. That seems to be the style. And then you have this, this, this shepherd who has an image I would propose of a, of a biblical leader, right? So you have the sense of, of a shepherd who, who knows the setting, who understands the surroundings. I mean, just think of a, you know, it's, it, if you study this in your own time, which I encourage you to do, I mean, you'll be amazed at the, uh, the lack of accolades that shepherds get and just how absolutely important they are to communities flourishing. No love. They stink, Right? They, they, you, and, I, and I'll talk about this later, but it just reminds me of even like even how uh, in the scriptures and in, in, in the epistles, you know, some books that if you when you're reading the Bible, young people, uh, Corinthians is a great book because uh, you will see uh, how they talked about Paul, the greatest theologian uh, in our time. There were 13 books of the Bible and they looked at Paul like you look kind of ruddy and who are you? It's just interesting to me that the, the, the greatest figures in the Bible just just get played like you're just a commonplace born dude. 
Why should I? What? Look at you. And yet, these are the very figures who turn the world upside down. And so this concept of a shepherd is nothing less, right? Here's a guy who's on the, who's on the block, in the trenches, right? Setting. He leads the sheep. He's willing, to, he's willing to, to sacrifice the sheep. The sheep are willing to follow him wherever he goes. Not a top-down leader barking orders down, carrying a whip. None of that stuff. No, they go to the pastor because they hear his voice. It's incarnational. You see the story we try to retell family is that kind of story. This is what they see. Incarnational ministry. He moves on and says, so he, so he says this, and you can imagine the crowd is like, hmm, who are you talking about, man? Right? And in verse 6 it says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them. Now that's interesting. Uh, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. You think, well, Eric, you just said this is very commonplace. Absolutely it's commonplace, and that's the issue. Think about that. He gives them, he gives them a very normal scenario, right, within the community. It's like if I start talking about hooping here, the cat's like, well, what's that ball you got? Right? It's just bizarre. But see, that's why he uses this word figures of speech. That word basically is a, it means like proverb. We talk about proverbs. We've done proverbs here. We've done the book, Wise and Skillful Living. And one thing that I, we taught about proverbs is, right, is the meaning is never really obvious because proverbs, as it were, again, are, are wise and skillful sayings that only hungry people get. You see what he's doing here? He's cloaked shepherding to people who know all about sheep and shepherds. Think about that. He's, he's saying, you know what? What I'm talking about here is not just what you see on the face value. I'm talking about the spiritual importance, the spiritual truth I'm trying for you to understand here. That's what I want you to get. And so he spoke to them and they didn't understand what he was saying. So I just want you to take a note of that. Verse six, that's just very humbling. That you can hear something and you can, you can get the facts and still not know the meaning. Goes on and says, so again, so then Jesus, he's like, okay. It says, Jesus again said to them, again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Right? So we back to sheep country again. We just explain what's going on in sheep country, how the shepherd slept in the entrance of the door. He had to cross his body. So what is he getting at here? May I provide there's three things possibly that he's getting to? First and foremost, it's very clear. The exclusivity. Notice, he doesn't say he's one of the gates. Right? Jesus says, I am the gate. The gate. And so he's making it really clear to all these guys. He's saying, this is, I'm the one who you have to pass through. Both the shepherds, basically if you're in a city, and I'm the, I'm, I'm the one with guys that come in before he grabs his sheep. Or if you're in the country, I'm the one who's at the door. I am, I am there. I am the gate. You have to get past me. Well, again, what's the context? The context here, we're talking individuals who are trying to sneak in and steal. We're talking about bad theology. So we're talking about, we're really talking about salvation here. People who are, for whatever reason, who are, who are helping people or not helping people experience what does it mean to be entered into the kingdom of God. Right? And so Jesus is saying, I'm, this is exclusive. You get, how do you get to God? How do I have a relationship with Jesus, with, with the Lord? How do I get my sin paid for? How does this happen? How do I experience this true life that we, that we all want? We all want happiness and peace and sobriety. He says, I am the gate. And let me make it really clear, young people. Hear this. 
Here's what he's, here's what it's boiling down to. And this is what everything boils down to as we do life. And that is the fact that God created you and me. He created us with purpose, value, and worth. We walk around here and God has made us like himself. He says he's created us in his image. And what Satan wants to do is he wants to fool you. He wants you to have the audacity in how you act or the apathetic nature. Maybe sometimes your, your lack of response for you not to respond to God based on that reality that he made you. He created you for worshiping him. And the Bible says that because of our audacity to think we could be our own guys, we sinned. And because of our sin, we've been separated from God. And we deserve eternal punishment. We deserve to be killed over and over again. And yet, instead of him destroying us and allowing us to pay for our sin, he was merciful and he sent a rescuer. That's, that's, that's what life's all about. That Jesus came because you and I couldn't save ourselves. Right, out of all the things that's hard for someone to understand, as I've preached the gospel now for how many years, is for people not to try to p- tap on and, and say, the gospel plus this, the gospel plus that. Me, I, yeah, I do this. I love God, but also I'm doing all these things. No, 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 no. It is nothing you have done. When I stand before God, the greatest Bible study I've ever led, don't miss this, the greatest sermon, I mean, I do this full time. And I will stand before God and the best accolade I have as a spiritual leader in this community, I will not mention at all when I stand before a holy, perfect Jesus. I will bow my head and say, Lord, I have absolutely nothing to offer you, but I have given, Father, I've given my life to the Son. Son, now would you speak to the Father and tell him, I've given my life to you. Please, hurry up. (laughs) That will be my posture. That will be my posture. The best thing I've ever done is meaningless. My hope and my trust will be in Christ alone. And so what Jesus did was he lived a perfect life. He did miracles. Not so you can say, oh, look how cool I am. He did miracles so that you and I would go, man, I should put my faith in him. I should trust him to validate his godness, to validate who he is. And then he says, but I'm not going to do all these things. I'm doing these things to show you I could take care of this in a whole different way. But the way I've decided to save the world is through my death. He gets on a cross, mutilated and brutal, and he dies. But he doesn't stay dead. He rises from the dead to validate himself as the first fruit of the resurrection. And so now he says, so I want to make it really clear. I've done that so that you will see and I will see I'm the gate. The access to that relationship that I wanted you to always have only comes through me. So exclusivity only in Christ. So he says the gate, he's thinking exclusive. But here's the other thing that he's saying to us. Being a shepherd, he's talking about security and safety. And I don't know how to put these two together. So uh, work with me, guys, and give me some grace here. Uh, what I want to do is I want to bring some bring uh, Leon up. And I want to, um, when I think of security, when I think of uh, being a protector, uh, I want to think of the, the yeah, give me, give me some people. Give me two people with blindfolds real quick. We got to make it quick. Yep, yep. And then, uh, then we have four people who are going to, uh, two and two are going to help them. Okay. Hi, cutie. How you doing? You ready to put this on? Okay, you got to help me out. I want to choke you out. There you go. You put it on. There you go. Now put on your eyes. Oh, mm-hmm. put on your eyes. Now don't peek. Can you see anything? Good. That's how I like it. Okay, ready? All right, you all right? Can you see anything? Does he see pink stuff? Ethan? Okay, come on. All right, give, give me four Give me four other, four, four, four other kids. Okay, what I want you guys to do, Connor, move back a little bit. You're kind of too? Yeah. Okay, we got to hurry up. Come on, Connor, we're going to hurry up, bud. All right. Okay, you guys scoot over here. Now, what I want you guys to do, don't miss this, okay? Don't miss this. 
I want you guys. No, no, no. What you doing? I saw you trying to move that. No, you can't see nothing. I want you to see nothing. All right. I want you guys to quickly try to walk to the back. Starting now. Let them go. Let them go. Let them go. Yep. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Get some love. Uh-oh. Come here. Okay, so you made my point. Come here, sweetie. Okay, come on. Either you did good. You messed up my point, though. But it's all right. We will never pick up others to be kid again. Just kidding, man. Just kidding. That was awesome. Okay. Now, what I want you to do now. Okay, guys. Come here. All right. Now, I want. Same way. I want you guys. You two. For them, you two for them. Um, you can start first. I want you to guide to lean to the back, okay? They're going to have two guys guiding you, okay? Go ahead. Okay, pause. Okay, give, give our, our, our um, demonstrators a round of applause. Okay, hey, real quick, so so think about this. Yeah, you can sit down, guys. Thank you, guys. Think about this. When you think of a shepherd, you think of security, okay? Even though, I mean, Ethan did a good job, but notice, is it, is it fair to say, when you had your blindfold on without someone guiding you, did you feel more safe with someone guiding you or, or more safe when you didn't have anyone guiding you? Right? More safe with someone guiding you, correct? See, the thing about security and safety and what God is doing in, throughout, throughout the scriptures is he's building a case for you and me as Christians. And what he's saying, look at what I've done. Look at who I am. Look at my character. And then what he says, he says, guess what? I am the gate. And I want you to understand that in me, as your protector, that you can be secure. That you can be safe, right? That you, and guess what happens? Is this fair? When you feel safe and secure, guess what you're willing to do? Take risk, right? You're willing to be more courageous, right? I don't rock climb, but if I'm climbing, if I'm climbing a rock, right, guess what? And I see that one little area that I could think I can grab. You know what? If I have no belay, I'm probably not going to go for it. Because I know I'm going to bust my dome if I miss it. But guess what? If I have someone down helping and I have, I've got my carabiners and all that, I might freely try to jump for it because I know even if I miss, I won't fall. Right? You're working out. I mean, I don't know about the ladies, but the brothers, we're we trying to get swole. You know, if I got the heavy weight on, right, I, and someone's spotting me, I'll go for a little more. But you know what happens when you try to go for more nobody there and that thing fall. You're like rolling it down your leg, praying at your Lord, ain't nobody here, help, help. You know what I'm talking about? You try to wiggle it off. Doo -doo -doo. You know how, oh, I'm the only one who's done that? Y'all know. You be trying to, you be, like getting, be feeling yourself and put too much on there? You know what I'm talking about. Family. Guess what? As Christians... We should be the most courageous people. We should be the most determined people. We should be the biggest risk takers. We should be the most sacrificial because we are the most secured. 
God has said, I'm your gate. There is nothing that is going to happen to you without me and my hand right in there. That you are totally secure and safe in me. And so now he said, well, then why are you anxious? Why are you fearful? You have the greatest carabiner ever. You have God saying, I will not let you fall. I have you. Guess what? I'm just blown away, guys. I'm, I'm asking by God's grace, will we be courageous Christians? Why are we so scared to take risk? Why are we so scared to figure out, man, I just want to give it all to God. Why are we so scared? Why are we not the ones being the most courageous in the world? When the world just says, and I look at a Christian, those guys just do whatever. They just don't care. They'll go overseas. They go get killed in places preaching the gospel. They just don't care. Shouldn't that be the narrative? If this is true, should that be the narrative? Be encouraged with the word of God. First John 4, 18, look what it says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You hear the word family? For fear has to do with punishment, but you ain't punished now because you love Jesus. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. First, look at Second Timothy family. Verse 7 of chapter 1, look what it says. It says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. You hear this talk? This is new creation talk. This is redemption talk. This is God saying, see, here's the thing. Sometimes in our Christianity, you, we kind of look at it like we become a Christian, and then the Holy Spirit is kind of like some, some energy drink that you drink. And it's kind of like taking you and making you as the old person do good things. That's not the Christian story. That's not the Christian story. The Christian story is that literally the Lord says, you were an old man and you became new. New. Not better person. He's not rounding you out. You are a new person in Christ. That's why he says in Colossians, put on Christ. His whole point is literally Christ is on. You are Christ. God has made you like himself. Remade you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to be screaming. But look at Romans 8 says in verse 13, verse 15. Listen to this. This is interesting. For you did not receive the spirit of slave. Don't miss this. To fall back into fear. You see what he says there? He says, guess what? This is my, one of my, my favorite verses because the verse the Lord used for me to marry my sweetheart. He says, fall back into fear. You know what? What's the implication there? That's where you live. That's where you live. But guess what? The implication is you don't live there no more. So he's like, what are you doing? Acting like you're still like this dude. Like you're still like this lady. No, that's not who you are. He says, you, you're, not, you're not there anymore. This is where you are. He says, but you've been given the spirit of sonship, the scripture says. You've been given the spirit of sonship, of daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the scripture says. A new narrative, a new story. The, the coolest thing for me, family, as a Christian, especially as a Christian leader in my home, and I do it every night, I'll go upstairs and I'll see either my wife or my kids sleeping in their bed. And it's the, it's, uh, for me, it ministers to me so deeply at a spiritual level because I feel like, wow, my family feels safe. They're secure. They're sleeping and they're not thinking that anyone's going to touch them. They're, they're, they're just totally secure and safe. And I think that's a, that's a little picture of how God wants me to operate in my life. That I'm not walking around, oh my goodness, is, what's going to happen? Is, can I do this? No, I can't take, and I don't take that risk because if that don't work out, then I don't know. 
Lord, give, make us courageous Christians. The scriptures read in verse 8. All who came before me are thieves. He's just retelling what he said already in the first five verses. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. So he indicts these teachers of the law. He indicts these Pharisees. He's saying, look, y'all, let's be really clear. Dude, uh, these intruders, these people, they want, they want to destroy the sheep. And it's interesting. You think he used those two words. It's, for, it's so deep to me. You think of a thief versus a robber, right? I mean, that's some crazy stuff. I don't know how these authors are just crazy to me. So a thief conceals, right? A thief is on a down low with their dirt. You know what I'm saying? Thief be like, hey, what's that? Mm. Right? Down low with it. They, right? they, they, hide, it. they hide things under their coats. They steal by, in, a, in a stealth way. Like they're just conniving. Whereas a robber is straight up gunpoint on you. Like, boom, give me your money. Right? The difference. Take with violence. See, he's talking about false teachers, family, right? He's talking right now. This is this is this is very important for you and me, because false teachers sometimes will walk up on you and just say, "Guess what? You need to worship Satan." Right? That's the culture now. Everybody needs to believe a certain thing, and if you and if you can believe anything in the world, but you've been not believe in Christ, it's kind of the picture we're kind of getting in our world. You want to you want to walk with God? Now you're tripping. We just read. Uh, my sweetheart was reading to me last night uh, we were about the Billy Graham, who I just want to praise God for, uh, God using him, and um, how and uh, what's uh, one of these Mac, these uh, New York Post has blasted this brother. I mean, just and I'm thinking, man, okay, we're fallible, but this is crazy, right? Just just frustrated, but I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised because that's a robber. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? How do, I just, how do I just make the gospel seem just not good news to you? Why? So you don't enter through the gate. How do I do that? Is that happening to you? Is that happening to any of you at your workplace? Is that happening to you in your relationships on the block? Or people like, man, it just, sometimes you're like, is the gospel good news? Every time I'm, I'm preaching the gospel, I look dumb. You start, you start assessing the pragmatic. Am I the only one who started assessing the pragmatic and be like, man, one plus one is not equaling two here. What's all this? Where's the peace and the love and the, you know, where's all these words God talking about? I'm getting the other words. Right? You know what I'm saying? So, false teachers, they'll be, they'll be like that. But then you know what? Here's my biggest concern for our body is the false teachers who are like thieves. And they're not in your face. You're not smacking. You're not saying, "Love Jesus." If you love Jesus, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, you're gonna be, you're gonna be dead. I'm gonna kill you. But they have this false doctrine, right? And you, and you, but you, you know, here's here. So, as a pastor, can I just one of my biggest desires? I think we, Leon and I, we talk about this. Like our heart's desire is for our body to have spiritual discernment. And I tell y'all, I get. I, I don't know how to do it. I'm trying to just be like, oh, okay. But like the most frustrating thing for me is when you guys or when I see a, a person come from a whack place where doctrine is not being preached, the word of God is not being preached, and you think you just got the same stuff that you got here. I'm just keeping it 100. Because our heart is that you'll be able to go, you ain't got to judge nobody. You ain't got to run out of the church. You ain't got to burn nothing. But you can say, huh, I was just at a place today and here's the way they handled the word. 
that you'd have some discernment, that you would just eat everything. You just in there, oh, <laughs> that's a, don- a ho ho, mm, donut, some salad, poop. You know, who, you know what I'm saying? Just eating everything. Can you recognize an intruder family? Can you recognize an intruder when you had a place and you had a conference? Because guess what? I'm telling you, I, we in our in our in our our, um, our foundation book we have uh, we have the importance of right doctrine. And in that and in that book, I talk about truth and insight are not synonymous. Y'all see, we be thinking because somebody has good insight that is true. That's not true. You can sound really deep and it be dumb. It'd be totally untrue. I, t- I sit with people all the time and I'm looking at people, you know, because I can't, first I already got a rep that I'm a little too rigid, you know what I'm saying? So I can't put everybody on blast. I got to give some people a break. So I got to choose which bad doctrine I beat up. I'm just keeping it real. And let's be really clear here. I got bad doctrine too. Okay? I'm not Jesus, but God does not that give me an excuse to not be prophetic and say what's good and bad. All right, that's part of our role as the people of God. Can you recognize an intruder? I um, I'm giving a few examples, family. I had a um, we have we have a friend for our Sarah in our, our homeschool. Uh, sadly, uh, the husband is, is dying of cancer. All right, and, and and here's the thing, guys. This is this is a struggle for all of us, if we can be honest. Dying of cancer. And guess what? Good people are walking up to this guy. They're already doing treatment. They've done treatment. But, you know, you get to the point where the treatment is not about, uh, it's not healing anymore. It's basically, we just want you to feel good until you die. That's where he's at. So he will, he, unless, bar a miracle, he'll die. Okay? And the wife is frustrated. You know why the wife is frustrated? Because people walking up to her and walking up to her kids talking about, look, your dad's going to be healed. Some of you in here are struggling right now. Well, what's wrong with that, Pastor? Don't you believe God? Don't you believe God can heal? Right? Some of you are struggling right now. That's my point. See, you are experiencing false doctrine whenever you think you can presume upon a holy God. You are not questioning God's faithfulness or power to trust his sovereignty. Do you understand what I just said there? To trust God's sovereignty to say, no, you are God and I'm not. So I'm, t- I'm not saying that I have a lack of faith to not say, oh, you heal, he healed, and I know God going to do it. No, I'm saying I'm not God. I'm saying I would like to be healed. I know you can heal them. But you know what? I don't know your plan. You're God. I don't know if you're like, well, Eric, you don't understand. Four people are going to come to know Jesus if I keep him alive. 300,000 are going to come to know Jesus if he dies and he's with me. And guess what, Eric? I don't know if you knew this, but this is about me, not about you. So she's frustrated. Can you discern an intruder? Pithy sayings, people saying all this good stuff. You know, we were at a church once, a guy said, pastor was talking, me and Sarah looking like, what is this dude talking about? It was like really cool stuff. Like if I was at like a, you know, uh, uh, Dale Carnegie, you know what I'm saying? I was learning how to be a really good person. 
I'm keeping it 100. I was learning how to be a really good person. I mean, this is really good stuff to learn how to you know have more fun at dinner and stuff. <laughs> and then at the end, he was like, yo, y'all, we all need to repent for not going the distance. Now I tell y'all, many of us to hear that would be like, oh, that's deep, man. Can I ask y'all a question? What does that mean? What does going the distance mean? When, what is it? Sarah looked at me like, what is, he, what, is, what is he talking about? Going the distance. What are we doing? And then what? You might go, well, what he meant was it? No, 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 no. You're up in front. Tell people what you mean. Don't have me inferring and using my evil heart to ter- determine what the conclusion is going to be. No, 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 no. Take me to the word. Can you discern an intruder? Guys, some of us, we listen to Joel Osteen. We listen to these people. And they're, they're, they'll say, and, and here's the thing. It's not all this crazy doctrine of demons. There'll be some good stuff in there. But like I just said, you don't eat a beautiful pot that Robin made with beautiful, you know, asparagus and awesome beets and all this good stuff for you. And then somebody throwing some poop. You don't still go, hmm. Mm, poop beat soup. You don't do that. You go, man, I didn't eat that. Right? Why do we do that spiritually? Why do we do that spiritually? My kids, uh, kids had a fever the other day, and uh, we went to, I got so many examples. So, we, you know, the lady was loving us. She's a great friend. Oh, let me send you these two things. Let me send you these two emails to tell you how we ain't called to be sick. Second Timothy four three. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Here's the thing. See, this is this is the this is the the way now people aren't getting into the door. Look at this. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. You hear that? See, it's indicting us on our evilness. We want to have people that we agree with. See, I'm telling you, I've sat. Look, look, I give y'all so so a lot of credit in this body, all right? I I really do. I'm one hundred. I give y'all a lot of credit because you guys, I say it all the time, you swim upstream. I mean, you've had opportunities. I've had some of you in my office, or we're talking about something, and I'll say, "Hey, man, here's here's where you're you're kind of wrong." And I've had we've had dialogue, and you and you stayed at the table. You hear me? Look at Ken. (laughs) You hear me? You stayed at the table. And I, and I appreciate that. I'm, I'm very thankful. Because you know what the world says? You know what the, norm, the nomenclature is? As soon as I say something that make you mad, you go somewhere where someone make you happy. Right? Not just you and biblical. Right? But oh, by the way, and by the way, we are dangerous enough with the Bible. Oh, God, oh Lord. To make it say whatever we wanted to say. I mean, right? Amen. But look what it says. Verse 4, it says, you want it, you, you, and, that, and that's my normal. So it's like, that's why you have accountability. That's why we have a mad group. That's why we have one-on-one. We do all that. So why, that's, why, that's why I have elders. You don't think we don't send elder meetings and someone says something crazy? And then a brother like Alex, someone said, hey, you know, that was, uh, I hear you, bro, but uh, I'm serious. Am I keeping what I mean? People are, these are your leaders. 
That's why we have that accountability. So every once in a while, when you're having a bad week spiritually, that's why there's four of us to say, hey, man, you know, why don't you just keep eating? You know what I'm saying? We love you. You know, we're going to figure this out. We'll bring you back in a combo. We, 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 but that, that's what this is about, right? I mean, that's, we, we're all fallible people. Okay, I'm going to close because I'm, I'm, I hope you hear my heart, guys. Uh, and we'll turn from listening to the truth and wandering in the midst. Verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, enduring, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So guys, I'm praying for discernment. I have something else, but I'll, just, I'll pause there. We're praying, I'm praying for discernment for all of us. That we'll be a body that loves truth. That, but that you, that, but that, hey, that our body can have the same one. But that we wouldn't just be beating people down here. That's our struggle. We got to figure out that posture of how to be like prophetic. But man, people got to have a space here to be on a journey. We got we, we to gotta figure out long suffering in our community because our community is too intense. We're, we're just, we're all up on each other, houses all next to each other and seats all the time. And we're all about the Bible. We're serious. You know what I'm saying? We're on mission together. Like this is, this is a hotbed of drama. It really is. Right. And so we, we gotta, we gotta figure out, Lord, how do we make sure people feel loved and heard and cared for? And, 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 and just that there's a space, man, just to kind of figure out who we are in the Lord. Can I, can I just say that? Like we gotta have that space. We have to, we, can, that's a weakness in our local community. I think so. Now, I don't think it's absent. We're trying. But we got to figure out how to hold each other accountable. Now, here's what we do. We go either this way or this way. We're super prophetic, super prophetic. And then all of a sudden we're mute. And you don't say nothing. People doing stupid stuff. And you're just like, well, I don't want to be jail. I don't think I'm trying to be mean. So I'm gonna... We have to figure out balance. Okay. So he, uh, he ends by saying, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and we'll go in and out and find pastor. Verse nine. Again, very clear. Uh, exclusivity. The thief, verse 10, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And you see those two things? He says, you go in and out and find pasture, verse 9. What's his point there? Nourishment. This, that, that abundant life that we talk about, he talks about in verse 10. And he uses this triad. Triad is a, is a, is a thing the Bible does, guys, when they, when they want to make a really good point about something evil or good. And here is evil, right? And he tells us that we get security. We get, we get this abundant life. It's found in two ways. In our eternal life, salvation, in our earthly life. But God wants us to know in our earthly life, no matter what the temptation, no matter what's going on, he, you're safe in his arms. So let me close with this. The world will always try to lie to you and me. With verse 10. And provide cheap imitations of the world that is cloaked and looks like they're abundant. That they're pasture filled. You hear me there? We all struggle with this. The world lies to you and me and says, I want to give a cheap imitation of what peace looks like, of what joy looks like, of what a happy life looks like. And he uses fame and ambition and money and popularity and lust. And what he's doing is he's stealing and he's killing us. But God has a different idea. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to take my resume. See, see, he didn't have to show us a resume, but he did it. Take what I've shown you throughout history. And I want you to live according to my word. Now I'm going to give one more, just an example. We're going to go home. I need, I need two, uh, t- uh, give me a few, two, two more young people, guys. And then we're going to go home on this. 
Give me Elias, one of the homies. Just give me one of one of you guys. Just take one. I'm, take, I'm trying to take different family members. Um, can I get one? Of, do one of the guys want to come? Come here, buddy. What's your name? What's your name? Joshua. Come here, man. How you doing? I'm Eric. Come here. All right. Here's what I want you guys to do. I want you just to stand in front of Josh. Joshua's going to stand in front of, in front of you. And, and what I, all I want you to do is I want you to slowly walk and I want you to follow him. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, brother, follow me. Don't, t- don't step on his back. Don't step on his heels. <laughs> just walk wherever you want, Joshua. Go ahead and walk wherever you want. Just walk wherever you want. You got to make a turn. You hit the wall. Keep walking. Go that way. Go this- oh, you want to okay, turn that way? Go wherever you want. He's following you. Go wherever you want. Okay, now, what I want you to do, guys, okay, let's do the same thing. Come here. I want you to turn this way, Joshua. And E, I want you to turn this way. Now, come here. Now, you turn this way. No, just you're pointing that way, okay? You're pointing this way. Now, what I want you guys to do is walk away from each other, okay? Go ahead, walk away from Now, stop, stop. Stay where you are. Now, I want you to continue to walk away from each other. And while you're doing it, I want you to follow each other. Now, what's wrong with that? Come here. Good job. Now, now, why, why, was that, why was that weird? I asked you to walk away from each other, but I wanted you to follow each other. Can you do that? No. Can you do that? No. Right? Great job. Have a seat, guys. Good job. Good job. Young people and older people. A lot of times we, we, we mystify this reality of what does it mean to walk with God? What does it mean to, to be a Christian? What does it mean to say, God's my treasure, and I'll follow him? Well, it's that simple. If you follow someone, you're doing what they do. You're in the places where they are. You're in their environment. You're, you're about the same things. It's interesting, many times, we're saying we're following God, but we're going in the opposite direction. May I propose to you, that's impossible. You cannot be going in the opposite direction and saying you're following the Lord. Is Jesus our protector? These are the conclusion. Is Jesus our true safety? Is he our sacrificial incarnational leader? And if so, the response is worship. The response is worship. Responding to him. Following him where he goes. Where he at, where he is in his environment. Let's respond and worship as we take the sacraments. Um, we're going to have tithe and offering. We're going to do our, our our time of communion. Family. One and-